Welcome to episode four of season two of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, presented by ChangeUp. I'm Matt Zatilli. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Owen Shadrick. Owen, it's great to see you. Happy New Year. How you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. Happy New Year to you, too. We finally made it to 2021. We are out of 2020. We had a great 2020 in the Futures League, so not much to complain about there. But, you know, hopefully with the vaccine coming, it'll be a better year here in 2021. I'm hoping. We got our fingers crossed. It was an unforgettable summer of baseball, but bigger and better things ahead, as always. Uh, Do you have any New Year's resolutions that you want to offer to the fans at home? More Futures League baseball. Are you kidding me? I love it. I'll go with the same thing. (laughs) More Futures League baseball, the better. We had to play a shortened schedule, so we're expanding back up to 56 games. The more FCBL ball, the better. So I love that. Great answer. Now, on today's episode, to kick off 2021, we had the broadcast team from the New Britain Bees, Leverett Ball and Nick Zelaya. They were on the mic for the Bees' first summer of baseball in New Britain. It was a lot of fun. I'm local to that park, so I got a lot of time to talk to them and see how they operate. And it was a really fun interview. They had a lot of great things to say. Yeah, it was great to have those two guys on, good friends of the podcast all summer long, and excited for you all to hear it. What a coincidence that our two double guest episodes both come from New Britain, with the first one being Brad Smith and Ray Garino, and now Leverett and Nick. So it was a lot of fun talking to these guys, hearing their preparations for the ball games and what it was like to help bring summer on blue frame to the New Britain fans at home. So without further ado, here is our interview with Leverett Ball and Nick Zelaya. At this time, we now welcome on two very special guests from the New Britain Bees broadcast team. It is Leverett Ball and Nick Zelaya. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Good to see you again. Although, you know, Surprised you intro my name first instead of Nick's. Nick likes to kind of act like a big deal. So um, I don't know if you want to start like start recording over again, say his name first. But by the way, Nick, you know, you haven't responded to me to me in a while, but I hope you can uh, sign my baseball glove sometime. Yeah. Um, yeah. Big fan. I know. Yeah, we've uh, had to do a couple autographs of your things. I've autographed your hat in the past, your (laughs) shirt. But I think usually in the broadcast booth, the play-by-play guy gets his name first. So I think that's why Matt had to introduce Leverball and then Nick Zelias. So no hard feelings. I Matt, please continue Leverball and then Nick Zelias. Thank you. I mean, if we're doing play-by-play and then color or – alphabetical order or even the way it's showing up in the zoom so i am i'm used to being last i'm used to being last with the alphabetical (laughs) i've been zelaya all my life i've never changed my last name we're used to last doesn't hurt me anymore well the point stands thank you guys so much for taking some time to join us uh it's great to talk to you guys let's get started with how this summer went in the futures league for you too so how did you guys originally get in contact with the bees i know it was a slow summer in terms of broadcasting and media but you guys got to broadcast the whole home schedule. So how did that all play out? Well, Nick was on their radar first. Maybe, Nick, do you want to go first for this question in the order yeah. in which we were hired? Yeah. So I had come home from college due to COVID-19 mid-March, never ended up going back to school. And I was just, I'm sitting in my bedroom, sitting in my house doing absolutely nothing. And I'm just thinking to myself, what am I going to do until August when I'm supposed to go back to school? So late May, early June comes around and I'm doing, at this point, I'm just Googling Connecticut sports teams because I'm just trying to find some team to do some type of work with. The bees were the only team to answer me. 
And then a couple days later, I get a call from the assistant general manager, Brett DeRosa. And he's like, hey, do you want to come down to the stadium sometime? Just get to know some of the guys, check out the, the place. So I'm like, okay, sure. I go down there. They're playing a scrimmage against each other. And it's a beautiful stadium, New Britain Stadium, amazing place. And there was no formal interview or anything. I leave and I have no idea if I'm supposed to come back or not. I, I was never told you're coming back. You need to do some more work for us next week. It's a Friday. Am I supposed to come back Monday or not? I have no idea. So then I figured, okay, I'll just try going in. If I get kicked out, I get kicked out. <laughs> but if I stay, I assume I'm here for the summer. So I'd start doing some production work with them, help with Blue Frame, trying to get that set up so that they can stream their live games. And then two days before opening night, which was July 2nd, we lost the current play-by-play guy. So they're scrambling, trying to find one more person who can do this because I was trying to help on the back end of things as well while doing color commentary. I can't do play-by-play graphics, all that alone. So within 48 hours, they're trying to find a guy. And I guess that's where Leverett comes into play. Wow. Sounds like you were thrilled to hear out here that I was joining the team, but yeah, I mean, well, like Nick said, it was kind of a last minute thing because the, uh, the longtime play-by-play announcer for the bees decided not to um, work with the team anymore for, for personal reasons, like right before the season started. And for me, actually, I had been scheduled that summer to um, be a sideline reporter on Nesson for the Massachusetts Pirates of the Indoor Football League. And their season got canceled because of COVID. And about a week after um, I found out their season was canceled, the Bees hit me up and said, hey, we're starting our season in a few days. Um, Our play-by-play announcer just withdrew himself. Can you do it? And that was a crazy week for me because I went from thinking I was going to be a Nesson sideline reporter for football that summer to thinking I was going to be unemployed to then being a baseball play-by-play announcer. So, and I actually remember I spoke with uh, Brett DeRosa, the assistant general manager on the phone. And he mentioned to me, oh, we have a a broadcast intern from Syracuse University. And um, in addition to, you know, being our play-by-play guy, you know, you're a little older than he is. I- I'm not making this up. He said, you know, you're a little older than he is. You've been in the business. We hope you can be a little bit of a, a mentor for him. And, you know, I-, I was like, all right, let's do it. And I told him, I said, you know, I've had, when I was interning, I had some broadcasters who were mentors for me, others who didn't really care about me and thought I was a waste of their time. And, you know, it, it, makes a big difference in your experience as an intern based on how the the broadcasters treat you and try to help you. But then obviously, you know, when I met Nick, I went back on my promise to Brett and I was very mean to him all summer. So yeah, but there you have it. There were times where you're mean Leverett um, on air or off air. I don't think it mattered if we had the mics on or not, but yeah, Leverett was a fantastic mentor. He really taught me a lot throughout the summer Mm -hmm. And it was good to have him by my side in the booth. Yeah, please stop don't start, it. Please don't, set, stop it. <laughs> don't start shedding tears, Leverett. <laughs> Honestly, though, he was, it was good to have him. It was my first real broadcasting internship in my lifetime. So it was good to have a guy like Leverett who was really there. He was fun to be around. He was energetic. And it made the summer worth working with the Beast. You know, what's funny is, um, you know, it was kind of two-sided, though. We both made fun of each other. It's not just like, 
I was bullying him and he was just sitting there and saying, okay, thanks for your feedback. Like, I don't know if Nick plans on going back to the bees this coming summer, but I have actually talked to the team. And although the entire town of new Britain, Connecticut may have hoped they would never hear my voice again, I'll be returning this summer as the voice of the new Britain bees. Is that official? So I spoke with management and we made an oral agreement. I have not signed my contract yet. And we're going to work out exact details, you know, as far as pay, et cetera, right before the season. I'm guessing they're probably going to raise me to like a million a game. Nice. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, but who knows? It's kind of crazy. You know, like I said, I, I got the job right before the season started. I thought I was going to be working in indoor football that summer. Um, and now here I am returning. There it is right there. The official word breaking news. Oh, yeah. Back to the Futures. Lever ball oh, is yeah. back. Let's go. Nick, any comment on that? Or you you want to go hush-hush for a minute? What's the I word? mean, as of right now, the plan is to go back. Absolutely. Wow. I was really ex- – I had a great time last summer. And with everything up in the air still, everywhere really with COVID, there's so many questions. Why not run it back? Why not oh, run it yeah. back? Go back – as Drake would say, go back to back. So, I mean, it's it's been clear since the jump of this podcast and the jump of the summer, broadcast chemistry is extremely important, and you guys clearly have shown that you have that. When did it click between the two of you, and how has it made it easier on the both of you? Well, you know what? I remember the first broadcast we did on opening night, it was kind of a mess because, like we already talked about, you know, I was kind of signed last minute. Nick had been working with them for a little while prior to the season starting, and you know, I remember we got to the stadium or I got, I got to the stadium and, you know, I didn't really know anyone, you know, I hadn't had as much time to repair as I normally would if I were working with a new team, because like I said, I didn't know I was going to be working with them until a few days before the season opener. And then we had technical issues with our broadcast in the first couple innings. So it was stressful for both of us, but, you know, we hung in there and got through that. And, you know, I think those types of experiences, maybe they're not fun, but you actually learn more about those types of experiences or more about yourself as a broadcaster and you develop more through those types of experiences than just when everything's going your way. And anyone in broadcasting has to be able to be comfortable being uncomfortable and kind of adjust on the fly because, you know, on live TV or live radio, things can go wrong. And, you know, it is what it is. It happens. You have to be able to handle it. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. When we had those first couple of games, when the broadcasts were <laughs> all over the place, nothing was going right with the technology. I wanted to just grab the computer, open the window, and frisbee that thing out the window. But I think that first week when we were having all those technical difficulties really helped our chemistry the most because – Lever could have been like, oh, this kid doesn't know what he's doing. Why am I wasting my time here working with this sophomore in college? Because we're Lever and I are relatively close in age. I think that helped a lot too. The fact that he wasn't so much older than me, we could connect easily. You're like on. 14 years old. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. I'm 14 years old. According to, I just turned 20, actually. I'm hitting the roaring 20s. I actually, he, he's having his 16th birthday party this weekend. I don't know if you guys are invited, but his dad's mm-hmm. going to buy him a pony. Nice. Oh. I did not get the invitation. Unfortunately. Anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Continue. No, you're good. You're good. But I think all of that really helped. He was there, moral support when I was trying to fix the camera. 
all the computer issues, all of that stuff, because I had never called a baseball game before this season, color commentary or play-by-play. I had done a couple of basketball games when I was up in Syracuse, but before this, I had never called a baseball game in high school ever before. And just having Leverett there to help me out on the side whenever I needed it and just staying calm, telling me it's going to be all right and being there to help me whenever I needed that, I think that helped a lot. And then over time, as I got more comfortable on air, the, the connection, it just built the connection, the chemistry, and just continued to grow every single game. If I found out something about the team, I would let them know before the game or between innings, just so we were both on top of things. There was one game where we had an injury. I forget which player it was, but I'm texting Brett, trying to figure out, getting updates about the team and the player getting injured. And, um, I'm letting him know. I get some information about his injury. He's going to be out for the rest of the game. And I'm telling Leverett so that he can announce it to the people that are listening. So I think over the summer, we just gradually grew that chemistry and it made the broadcast so much better over time. Yeah. And you want to talk blue frame. It was really cool that the league was able to implement that technology this year. How did it help you guys to, whether it was Nick, you listening back to some broadcasts and trying to get some feedback or just making more of a professional call that you can use for your own reels and trying to overcome those technical difficulties and getting a new camera and setting up a second router at New Britain Stadium. But what kind of an aspect did that help you guys from where you knew, all right, it wasn't just kind of this rinky-dink operation, but it was pretty legit for the fans tuning in at home. It was yeah. it was high quality. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, it definitely, you know, I did some stuff when I was in school with the Brockton Rocks, so I had some FC Bill experience, but this was the highest quality broadcasting that they had league-wide with the, the Blue Frame stuff. And then also, it's the first time in league history that they did a few Nesson games as well, so they really stepped it up in the broadcasting department last summer. Also, I actually, I just had one other comment based on what Nick said in his last answer in regards to, you know, when he started out and things went badly, you know, me being patient with him and what happened with him could have literally happened with anyone. If, you know, it's your first game as an intern and the system's crashing, that could have happened to anyone. It wasn't really his fault, but in sports broadcasting and, and entertainment, there's a lot of scapegoating. And a lot of times when something goes wrong, people look for someone to blame, whether or not it's their fault or not. Um, so for me in that situation, I wasn't going to, try and blame Nick because, you know, it was the easy thing to do. And he was the intern, but that's common in, in sports. I actually, one time I'll make this snappy, this story snappy because we have some other things to talk about, but I worked at one point for a professional hockey team. I will not say their name, but my first day I was their in-game NC. I did all the promotions. I was on the video board. My first game with them, my boss, instead of doing a kiss cam, told me to sit next to couples with my microphone and encourage them to kiss it was one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever done in my life. And I was doing it at my boss's orders. Anyway, my boss's boss said, you know, you made everyone really uncomfortable with that really weird kiss thing that that um, you had had them doing. Instead of just doing a kiss cam, you had the MC sit next to them on the, with a mic and say, oh, it's been 20 years of marriage. Go for it. And so. Anyway, my boss lied to her boss and said that she didn't tell me to do that and that I had disobeyed her and done that on my own will. And I got fired. 
So perfect example of someone trying to cover their own backside, blaming someone else. And when you, you know, it's your first day on the job or you're an intern, you're an easy target. And that happens in sports broadcasting. So often people look for someone to blame. So as someone who's been in that situation, I wasn't going to blame Nick for something that wasn't his fault. So went on a little bit of tangent there, but that's so common in sports and the people if you're the one who makes the mistake, you have to own it. If you're putting the blame on other people, you're not going to make it. I can tell you there was nothing like uh, the first game, you know, turning on blue frame, getting ready to go and seeing the selfie cam on Nick. That was, uh, okay. that was quite, that was quite, <laughs> Oh tough. yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I remember watching back that game and first it went black. Then there were um, colored boxes everywhere. The camera was shaking. It was the sixth inning in real life. People were just watching a strikeout in the bottom of the second. <laughs> and then my face is there. So, yeah, hey, mistake, mistakes happen, you know, yeah. move on from it. And that's how we grow. Exactly. But, um, all right. Moving on to the next question here. You know, baseball meant a lot to people this summer because of everything that happened. So what do you think it meant to have baseball played in New Britain this summer at New Britain Stadium? And especially with fans at the park, what do you think it meant to New Britain and just to the baseball community overall? Well, in that promotional video, Nick called them the best fans in Connecticut. Um I did slightly tear up at those sentimental words. So maybe you should go first, Nick. Yeah, it was really cool to have fans. Um, Obviously the MLB wasn't in play until midway through the futures league season. So people were just scrambling, trying to find sports to watch and for the futures league to have baseball, no positive cases, plus having a good amount of fans at the games. It wasn't a few people were showing up and the little splotches around the stadium When they sold out, it looked like a packed stadium. Those night games where Andrew Kane hit that walk-off, the atmosphere was just amazing in the stadium. And to be there calling the game, it it was so cool. I would sometimes just walk around before a game, like literally five minutes before the game, I'd have to rush back to the booth because I just wanted to walk around, see all the people there, interact with some of the fans. It it was really cool. And especially – for Danielle Rivera, who uh, who's from New Britain, Connecticut, his family was there every single night. The New Britain fan base, they loved him because he's the hometown, almost the hometown hero. And he had an excellent season as well. They were, they go hard. When they say hard hit in New Britain, they seriously means hard hit in New Britain. The fans are intense. They're into the game every single time. And it just, it made it fun for us in the booth to have that view of the baseball field all the fans, we could literally see everything from up there. And it, it made the summer so much fun. You guys had a really good atmosphere in general in the press box. Chris Grace, the public address announcer, did a really good job hamming it up, engaging the fans. Like you mentioned, Danielle Rivera's family. There was a big fan section that gathered behind home plate. Just a lot of people really invested in the baseball. How do you think you guys fed off of that energy and incorporated it into your broadcasts? It was awesome. Um, kind of like Nick said, I mean, you know, in New Britain, the fans are so passionate and, you know, what was cool also with some of the social media interaction, you know, fans would, um, you know, write stuff on the Facebook page and compliment our, our broadcasting, compliment some of our videos. You know, Nick did his weekly show um, interviewing the coaches and, and the various players. Um, I even got, you know, random Facebook messages from uh, some fans of the team saying, you know, we haven't, you know, we haven't been able to come to like a couple of different fans. They say, you know, we're not comfortable going, to, um, going out and about um, during the pandemic, but we've been listening to the broadcast and we really enjoy your broadcast. That meant a lot. You know, having people I've never met 
know who I am and reach out to me. And yeah, there was even uh, even one fan who said that he was actually battling cancer and he had been, you know, listening to the games while he was recovering from uh, from chemo. And he actually really wanted to meet me. We ended up having to cancel that because he had had a chemo treatment and was feeling awful. But we did end up talking on the phone. And that was, you know, huge for me personally, the fact that he was going through something like that and that, you know, our broadcast and just enjoying baseball was something that helped him get through it. You know, that's something that's bigger than the game. So I think just the connection with the fans um, was what I enjoyed the most. And how did we feed off of it? It definitely motivated us to, to try to be the best broadcasters we could be. So, yeah. Yeah. And to add on to that real quick, it was it was sometimes tough to because, you know, in professional leagues, they can they have mics all over the field where they can get the noise from the audience and the crowd. But for us, that was obviously kind of tough because it's a smaller organization, smaller team. We don't have the mics in the left field, third base, first base, all over the place. So really, we would get that energy from the crowd and try to incorporate it into the broadcasts. And when I going back to Andrew Kane walk off again, I don't think I words came out of my mouth when he hit that. It was more noises, <laughs> excitement, noises, all of that. It just it just showed how much the team really meant to us and how much passion we had for calling every single home game. Yeah, and you you just said the bees may not be major league, but one thing that looked very very professional was the social media presence of the New Britain Bees. Um, Nick, you were a major part of that. What was it like managing that and having some great help from guys like Cody Charneski taking awesome photos? Yeah, Cody's work is amazing. <laughs> I uh, I met Cody before the season started. He um, We talked a little bit. He showed me some of his work, and I was like, whoa, so you're going to be working for the Bees all summer. And just throughout the season, we stayed in touch. He was making some awesome graphics. I got to help out a little bit because I had some Photoshop knowledge, and his photos were awesome. You were constantly i follow most of the players on instagram they were posting cody's work over and over again throughout the season because it was so good and he's continuing it he made videos that were put on the big screen during the games his work was fantastic and that end of season piece where he got a ton of players coaches myself gm the gm brad and uh, brett got that put all together it was really cool it was a lot of fun and let's talk about the transition for the bees to the future league. They were an independent ball team. And prior to that, the Rockets played there for many a year, Nick, you're a Connecticut guy and Leverett, you're returning to the bees for the second season. So what do you think that a transition like that did for fandom in new Britain and sparking a new energy after they were double a, and then kind of trying to find their feet for a little bit. Now it seems like they found a great home here in the futures league. I think there's stability in the futures league, especially now you know, there's so much gray area when it comes to minor league baseball. Um, for example, there are some teams that have been affiliated with big league clubs in the past that are now becoming independent teams. Um, like, for example, the lower Lowell Spinners. For a long time, they were a Class A affiliate of the Red Sox. Now they're becoming um, independent, if I remember correctly, this coming summer. So there's just so much gray area, you know, as far as affiliated and unaffiliated baseball. And then with you know, some of the the unaffiliated independent professional teams, there's just not much exposure and awareness. A lot of people don't even know that these types of professional leagues exist. You know, some people, they think when they hear about, you know, independent leagues, they think that those guys don't even get paid, that it's just like a men's league. Um, there's not much of a fan base. Some of those leagues have TV contracts. So for the Bs, 
you know, had they just continued to maybe go from independent league to independent league and kind of fumble around, that might not have been the best. But in the FCBL, like I said, there's stability. And there's also that local connection because the majority of the players playing on FCBL rosters either have families in New England or play on college programs in New England. And so there's definitely that local connection. And, you know, I think it's it's a good fit for them. And I think they have a bright future specifically in the FCBL. Obviously, they played independent professional baseball in the Atlantic League prior to joining the FCBL. I don't even think the Atlantic League played last summer due to COVID. Uh, but I think the, the FCBL is definitely a good fit. Talking about players playing locally. If you look at the B's roster from this past summer, a majority of the players went to UConn. They played at Eastern Connecticut, Southern Connecticut, University of Hartford. A lot of those guys played for the B's because they want to stay locally. It's a lot of Connecticut guys. And I think, honestly, this was the biggest season for the FCBL because a lot of those leagues were canceled, those collegiate summer leagues. Now the FCBL, they got their name out there. You have Pittsfield coming back next season. I assume they're coming back, correct? Yes. I believe they're – Yes. Confirmed coming the, back. Yeah, so they'll be coming back. I'm sure in the next couple seasons, if the FCBL continues to grow, we can see a couple more teams maybe expand to Vermont or Rhode Island, just try to get more New England teams in there and more guys. They're going, they saw the success the FCBL had. They're wanna, they want to go play for a league that has a sustainability and is reliable for their players to get – three, four months of summer ball in when their collegiate season's done in the spring. So I think it's huge for the FCBL and the bees being that one Connecticut team, they're going to drag all this attention from other schools within Connecticut. And there's a lot of talent, especially at UConn. I'm sure they can get guys there at university of Hartford, those being the major D one schools in the state. So it, it's huge for the bees and the league in general. Yeah, it was a great summer for the bees. Great having them in the league again. And you know, that was their first time in the league, but Leverett, specifically for you, it wasn't your first time in the league. You touched on it earlier. You worked for the Rocks a couple of years ago. How did this season compare to your summer in Brockton? Um, well, I, I did stuff kind of um, off and on with the Rocks for a few years because, you know, I started doing stuff with them when I was in school. Um, but it's just like the entire league was so different this this year than it was in previous years. For, for a number of different reasons. One, there was more exposure for the league because, you know, certain leagues like the Cape Cod League um, and, and other summer leagues didn't play. Um, so players had fewer options and, and all of the top players were, were coming to the FCBL. But then also, you know, like we talked about earlier with the, the Blu-ray uh, broadcast and also the Nesson series, I think the league really stepped things up this this summer. So I think it was, you know, probably one of the most, if not the most productive summer in FCBL history. So yeah, it was just awesome to be a part of, especially um, someone like me who's seen the FCBL in past years when it, when it didn't get as much exposure and, and to see the difference um, that meant a lot, you know, in comparison to maybe someone who was in their first summer working in the FCBL to know where the league came from. So yeah, it was awesome. And the FCBL, it's cool because there are a mixture of, you know, broadcasters and league employees who are, you know, college students and they're doing it as a summer internship. And then also some old geezers like myself um, who do it as a job and, you know, want to stick around for a while. You know, Chris, our PA announcer and I, you know, we're both past the uh, 25 mark in our, our lives, which is actually 
according to scientists, when your life starts to go downhill and you start to become washed up. So uh, for two old men like us to be able to, to work in a collegiate summer league is, is really cool. And then there are also some up and coming young studs like, like Nick Zelaya, who probably won't remember us in a few years. So it's pretty cool. Wow. Kind words from Leverett. Care to comment, Nick? Up and coming stud here? Leverett, I appreciate the comment, but just remember you were my first mentor. So yes. Remember that. Remember. I mean, I've, he's kind of outswagged me today. You know, I didn't, you know, as I pointed out, you know, I'm not having the best hair day, so I rocked a hat. You know, he has like a perm from the Starsky and Hutch movie. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely beating me in the, the hair department. Lever, I've been rocking this hairstyle since June. You know, yeah. I, I care a lot about my hair, take my yes. time on it. So I got the shirt on. I just, if I put the hat on, I take it off after the podcast. The hair right. is a mess. I need to shower again because it, mm. yeah, I couldn't put a hat on. I had to rock at least a shirt. It's a whole yeah. operation. Leverett, for your sake, we'll hope that a lot of viewers are turning on the audio podcast versus yes. the video. Segment. Yes. So we'll, we'll really pick exactly. it up when we release. No question. Um, so, Leverett, you want to talk about being a mentor and also you've done work with Ness and you've done work with ESPN. You got a chance to serve as the first color commentator for the Starfires Bees game on Nesson. And Donnie Percaro served as the play-by-play guy, something that similar to Nick, he wasn't a, super accustomed to, but that you had done before. What was that like and how did you help coach him through that? And what was it like just getting a chance to be a part of the first televised game in league history? Yeah, well, I mean, so for Don, that was his first Nesson game, but, you know, he handled it well, like, I think from the outside looking in, he didn't look like someone who was doing his first Nesson game. Um, you know, he came in with a lot of confidence. So, you know, it's not like he was nervous before the broadcast and I had to give him a pep talk. Like he came in with a lot of confidence and he's done, you know, stuff in like game day operations with the Celtics in different places. So he's had a lot of experience in the world of sports. So I think, you know, he could, he could handle, it. I think that's part of why they chose him as the first Nesson play-by-play announcer in league history. Um, but you know, you were also part of that, that group. It was, uh, you, Don and Emma were the other on-air talent for that game, uh, Emma Carmen. And, um, I just remember as a group, you know, we did some zoom calls and different stuff to make sure we were prepared, went over some of the notes. Um, and because I worked with the bees regularly and not just for the Nesson game. Um, I know a couple of you had a couple team specific questions about the bees, I think for the rest of the, the on-air team for that game, it was their first time on Nesson, but they all handled it well. And I think no one really looked like a rookie. And I think we were well-prepared. So Nick, you've already mentioned a couple of great games. I'll start with you. What was your favorite bees game to watch this season? I would have to say my favorite game was it was a Wednesday night against the Brockton rocks and the bees won 14, nothing. <laughs> Just seeing an offensive masterpiece like that everyone was getting hits the eighth inning they scored eight runs and I remember aside from actually calling the game Lever and I we were just having a conversation about the most random things the place was going crazy and the bees were just scoring run after run after run and I'm just sitting there like whoa if they could do this every game they're unbeatable but obviously they weren't unbeatable (laughs) because had a losing record at the end of the season, but that had, that had to be my favorite game just because I love scoring in, in any sport. I love when teams score. Obviously there's some people that like the defensive side of sports. There's some people like the offensive side. I like when it's an absolute blowout 
and your team is scoring the majority of the runs. So I would say that 14 nothing game over the Brockton Rocks would have to be one of my favorites. There were a few others. I love the walk-off. Um, Leverett, you've mentioned it with uh, Todd Peterson when he hit that three-run shot. And the Andrew Kane walk-off that I've mentioned a couple times. But that 14 nothing game, that was something special. No question. I would say uh, Todd Peterson's walk-off home run, although – it's actually been a while. Which team was that against, Nick? I think. Was that against was, Worcester? Was it Worcester? I think it was. Yeah, that was the game when they had the short fence because uh, yes, the, 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 the fence was damaged due to, to weather, right? It would, Yeah, it wouldn't have been a home that run was, if, yeah. <laughs> if the fence wasn't there. Although it wasn't an unfair advantage because, I mean, Worcester hit a short home run to left field earlier in the game. Um, but, yeah, it was against Worcester. And yeah, Todd Peterson hit that walk-off home run, um, and we flipped out. And actually, if you guys have heard the clip, the the bees have reposted it on social media a few times in the off season. After I said, "Oh, blah, home run, Todd Peterson, whatever," Nick comes in and says, "Good night, ladies and gentlemen." Yeah, like okay. I, it's, I kind of like ruined your uh, five seconds of fame, but it, yeah, it, it we, sounded we know, like we yeah. know for next year. Yeah, it sounded like he was the closing act in like an opera. Like he was like, oh, 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 good night, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah, as many of your calls often did. But I believe Todd may have hit a home run that was a no doubter over that short fence earlier in the year. But you want to talk how that kind of came into play towards the end of the year. There was a huge windstorm and that left field fence ended up coming in. Was there any stuff that you guys had to figure out in terms of rulings or just adaptations to the broadcast because of that weird variation that you had to overcome midseason, among many other obstacles throughout the summer? I mean, I'd say I don't think it really had a big impact on our broadcast, although it was challenging for other people in the organization. Like our assistant GM, Brett, who we mentioned earlier, he had to put in a lot of work to, um, you know, build the temporary fence and, and then they had to talk with the umpires and go over rules and regulations. So there wasn't any gray area as to what was a home run, what wasn't. Um, so I think it was challenging for the management, the bees management, as far as broadcasting went, I don't think it really changed anything that we had to do. Although we did get some chirps um, on Twitter from uh, front row, Brian, the uh, Bravehearts fan. He, you know, was giving us a hard time about our broadcasting and some of our insights. He also complained about, the quality of our new fence. Although I'll say this, you know, Brunt, front row Brian had some, uh, some laughs at our expense, although it was always good nature, you know, it was never anything personal. I, I thought it was fair game. I don't think anything he said crossed the line. And honestly, I think he's a good fan, you know, as announcers for the opposing team, we were the butt of his jokes, but like, had there been a bees fan like that, who kind of mouthed off on Twitter a little bit, I think I would have found it amusing. Um, I kind of fired back at front row Brian a little bit, but it was good natured. I did, um, when the bees hit a home run, I said, take that front row McGee. <laughs> um, and then at the end of the game, the Worcester ended up coming back and winning that day. And so then he posted on, uh, on Twitter, uh, a Photoshop of him with his front row Brian shirt and it's Photoshopped to say McGee. And then it says this final score in the caption. So he kind of got the last laugh on that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I saw Front Row McGee in person, like I would, you know, buy him an adult beverage if he's 21 or over, or if not, you know, a Gatorade, like it wouldn't be awkward. But, um, you know, we did have some fun butting heads a little bit on Twitter. Yeah. About the wall. Um, yeah, go right ahead. <laughs> 
the B, they had a couple days to fix that. You, with everything that happened this season with COVID-19 and just trying to have baseball, you don't expect for your entire left field wall to just collapse. That's on the bottom of the list when it comes to the year 2020. But with how quickly they, the town and the, uh, the team management, they figured out a solution to building a fence. Obviously, the new fence, the real wall is being built over the offseason, but they got that fence for the last couple of weeks of the season. It caused a couple of laughs when players tried to make a diving catch and crash right into the fence, lost their feet a little bit, but it, it worked perfectly fine. Obviously, it was a little bit shorter but it was great by the bees to figure out a solution within a couple of days. Cause they had a home game coming up and just to figure something out in order to play baseball and have to cancel a few games. Before we return to our interview with lever ball and Nick Zelaya, once again, we wanted to give a big shout out and thanks to change up one of the FCBL's cornerstone sponsors. Change up is a cutting edge player centric pitch and performance management application by comprehensively and accurately tracking pitch activity and capturing critical in-game performance data, ChangeUp helps baseball coaches protect their pitchers from overuse and helps players reach their full potential safely. During the 2020 season, FCBL teams reap the benefits of the ChangeUp application, including the ability to keep college coaches informed on what and how their players are doing here in the FCBL. Coaches and parents at all levels, Little League, AAU, high school, and the collegiate level take notice. Changeup is a clear choice to ensure your pitchers aren't being thrown too much or too often and are getting proper rest. In addition, Changeup's analytics function helps coaches and players understand each pitcher's current performance thresholds and helps inform training protocols to get your players to the next level. The Futures League is bringing you tomorrow's baseball superstars today. Changeup is helping make sure those superstars travel safely and as far as possible on their personal baseball journeys. Are you ready to join the ChangeUp revolution? For more information, visit ChangeUp's website, www.changeup.io. That's www.change-up.io. ChangeUp, every pitch counts. We now return to our interview with Leverett Ball and Nick Zelaya. Yeah, it was certainly an exciting summer with a lot of twists and turns, but one thing that was constant was just the impressive nature of all the players in our league. So guys, who was your most impressive player to watch this summer on the Bees? I would say probably Noah Martinez. You know, he was the most consistent hitter on the team. You know, Andrew Kane was probably the hottest hitter out of the gate and probably the best hitter on the team for the first few weeks, although he cooled off a little bit. Noah Martinez never had one stretch when he just completely caught fire, but he hit consistently throughout the season. Early on in the season, he was hitting for a high average with not much power, but he started to hit some more home runs um, down the stretch. I'll never forget... He hit a 430 foot home run one game and I interviewed him after the game. And I said, that was an impressive home run. I've never hit a ball that far in my life. I'm kind of jealous. And he said, okay, man. Um, but, but uh, you know, humble guy, it, again, if I hit a ball 430 feet when I was a backup catcher at Curry college, I mean, that would have involved me playing in the first place, which didn't happen often. But, but if I hit a ball 430 feet, I would have done like seven different interviews about it and like called, multiple media outlets and ask them to cover it, you know, but he was again, pretty short and to the point and humble about it. Um, but he was a beast and he was also very good defensively as a first baseman. It also, I think what impressed me about him was how smart he was as a hitter, you know, not just hitting long home runs, but how smart he was about working the count and tailoring his hitting approach to certain in-game situations. 
you know, if the team was down by a few runs and there were men on, he'd swing 3-0 and swing for the fences and try and hit it out. In other situations, he'd take on 3-0. Um, but he was just a well-rounded, uh, all-around baseball player. So I would say for me, probably Noah Martinez. I, I really like Noah Martinez, watching his growth throughout the season. There are a couple guys I was most impressed with. But I'm going to be a little biased in my hometown here, and Lever knows who I'm talking about. Catcher Mike Caruso. I went to high school with him. I remember why I went to a couple games at Lyman Hall High School when I was a sophomore. He was a senior just because I wanted to watch some of my friends play. He was a good ball player, but I hadn't seen him in years since he played. And now that I got to be there every game, he is a damn good baseball player. Um, defensively and offensively. he I don't think he could have had more at-bats if there weren't so many catchers on the depth chart. They were trying to rotate guys every single game. He didn't, he ha, he didn't have a single extra base hit until at least late July, early August, but then he really just – he took it to another level. He has the power. He's smart when it comes to being at the plate hitting. And defensively, I think that's his best asset – he has a very strong arm. He can gun people out when they're stealing second base. He's 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 a leader when he's on the field. I was watching him sometimes. He'd be pointing out where certain guys are on the base path. He'd be yelling to the shortstop, Daniel Rivera, hey, watch this guy, watch this guy, do this. He was the coach on the field, and that's what I really liked about him. I don't think he'll be back next season because I believe he, he was a senior, so I don't think he'll be eligible for the season unless he – decides to do a fifth year because of COVID. I know rule rules, a lot of NCAA rules there, but I was really impressed with him throughout the entire season. He was a great player. And if he was starting consistently for the team, if he got the chance to, he would have made some serious noise. Yeah. Great guy too. We had him on episode 19 of this podcast series and really humble guy had a lot of cool things to say. You could tell he really has a knack for the game. So I love those two answers. Now, you guys had a great time in New Britain this summer. It was super fun to see you guys perform your work together. Let's talk a little bit about your personal background and other media and sports experiences that you guys are venturing into. So, Leverett, you mentioned it earlier. You're serving as a studio host and a sideline reporter, broadcaster, kind of jack of all trades for the Mass Pirates who play in the IFL, an arena football team. Talk to us about your role with them. Uh, yeah, so um... – I was supposed to, uh, like I mentioned earlier, work with the Pirates last season. The season was canceled. So last summer, like I said, strictly work with the Bees. The Pirates, they actually start their season in the spring, and it spills over into early summer. So um, I'll be working with the Pirates, like, like I said, this spring, and there'll be a little bit of overlap between the end of their season and the start of the Bees season. So those couple of weeks will probably be very, very busy for me. Um, going back and forth from – uh, the, the bees home field in New Britain, Connecticut to uh, the, the pirates home turf in Worcester, Massachusetts, probably put a lot of miles on my car during that time. Um, but with them, I'm the sideline reporter for their um, home games. Um, their home games are broadcast on Nesson. And then I also do their uh, weekly off season show, which is called pirates weekly. And uh, then I do a lot of, uh, you know, freelance stuff outside of my work with the uh, bees and pirates, Usually I do a lot of co college sports. Um, this past year, a lot of college teams I work with have been canceled. I was last year, the public address voice of Harvard university athletics. Um, but they haven't, none of the Ivy league schools have played any fall or winter sports thus far because of the pandemic. And then I also have done some 
obscure sports on ESPN. I <laughs> was an ESPN commentator for fencing, and I've also been talking with them about doing um, their ACL Pro Series this spring, the American Cornhole League. So I, the, none of the sports I've done on ESPN are ones that people actually watch, but I can say I've been on ESPN. So uh, that should be my conversation opener. I'm a uh, ESPN fencing commentator. No big deal. Leverett, I was actually watching ESPN. I believe it was ESPN U yesterday. Yeah. In a spike ball tournament. Would you ever commentate spike ball? Yeah. I mean, if they're paying me and it's on ESPN. <laughs> I also, the one other thing I almost did, I briefly worked with the Women's Professional Lacrosse League who are currently out of business. And I was supposed to be the sideline reporter on ESPN for their season opener, and they forgot my microphone. So I got there, and that was before I did any of the other ESPN stuff. So I had never been on ESPN before, and I'm like, "Here's it's my ESPN debut. I'm so excited. I hit up every person I've ever met in my life. I'm like, watch me on ESPN. Some people are like, I forgot about you after middle school, but thanks for telling me you're going to be on TV. I show up at the field. They said, we forgot your microphone, but we need someone to do the stat book. And since then, the Women's Professional Lacrosse League has, has gone out of business. Uh, they no longer exist. They weren't the most structured organization. Um, but I do still have a, a WPLLT, which is now a collector's item, because how many people can say they have T-shirts from a, a league that doesn't exist anymore? I got to ask a follow-up about all of mm. these your sports. I have to. How do you prepare to broadcast fencing or cornhole or maybe spike ball, as Nick said, if you get the chance, how do you like what goes into the preparation for that? Well, that's the thing is like with those obscure sports, obviously I haven't played them, but I think it's like that with any sport you haven't played. Like, for example, it's easy for me to do baseball games because I used to play college baseball. It's harder doing sports that you haven't played before. So anytime I'm doing um, you know, obscure sports like the one you mentioned, or like, for example, I've done a lot of college hockey games. I never played hockey. I don't even know how to skate. You know, if I tried to ice skate, I'd hurt myself. But, you know, as someone with no background in the sport, you still have to act like you know what you're talking about. So part of it is extra preparation. Like I study more for sports I haven't played than ones that I have played because some of the sports I have played, they just come naturally. So I'd say you have to prepare more. Also, not only study the details of the sport, but like watch broadcasts of the sport. So you get kind of a feel for the flow uh, of how things work, you know, in fencing, there's a lot of downtime in between battles. So, or, you know, so I mean, like, you know, you know, when you're waiting for Sir Lancelot to come up and stab someone, you know, you have to find more stuff to talk about during the downtime. There's less of a consistent flow of play. So, so yeah. So, I mean, it, it just depends, but I think you have to study up. Also, part of it is just acting like you know what you're talking about. It's almost like if you my 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 father is an economics professor. He obviously knows a lot more about economics than I do. But because I have more more practice speaking on camera, you know, I might be more comfortable talking about economics on TV, even though I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. He has a PhD in economics, so I think honestly. Um, some of it is just the way you deliver information. If you sound confident, people believe you even when you're clueless, you know? So it's almost like trying to get, get a woman's phone number. If you go up and you're like, um, uh, sorry, sorry to bother you. Um, maybe could I take your number and call you rather? It's like, Hey, nice to meet you. You know, if you come across confidently, 
you know, it looks better. So a lot of the times when I'm on TV, I have no idea what the heck I'm talking about. I just act like I do and people believe it. Well, that's a great point. And sometimes that's probably the best prep for toning your skills and getting more comfortable for broadcast in general. Yes. So that was an uncomfortably long answer on my part. I just went in five different directions. Like I kind of zigzagged around and then got to the point, but that's okay. Now I know, know how to get a woman's phone number. You know, that was an emotional roller coaster. Yes, it was. And Nick transitioning over to your side of things now. So you're a sophomore at Syracuse university and you're in Newhouse. It's one of the best communication programs in the country. You've done on camera work for Citrus TV. First off, congratulations. I know that's a role that you've transitioned into this year and you provide a lot of sports coverage for newspaper, TV, etc. So what can you tell us about what work you're doing for the orange up at school? Absolutely. So I have really gotten involved with Citrus TV, which is the student run television station at Syracuse University. And my first semester there, really how freshmen get involved is you just got to show up to the station. You got to get your face out there, your name, literally helping cut clips. That's that's your job when you're a first semester freshman, cutting clips for the show for the upperclassmen just so they can, I wouldn't say lay back, but they can do their study and they can prep for the shows and not have to worry about doing all of that, basically busy work. And then you're able to try out going into your spring semester. So I did, unfortunately, I did not get a on-air position, but it's tough for a freshman who is just going into a spring semester. So I got involved with social media. I figured, okay, maybe this will help get me a little bit involved. So pretty much they created the tap, which is a two to three minute version, kind of like the sports center on Snapchat with Gary Starewski. I think that's how you say his name. Streisky. Streisky, excuse me. Gary Streisky. Thank you, Leverett. Uh, two to three minutes covering the week of Syracuse sports, what's been going on for all the different teams. That's how I got my first on-air experience with them. I'd go to the station every Friday, film. I'd be in a button-down shirt, just a casual look, no suits or anything. I'm not sweating like crazy. So that's how I kind of got involved. And then I helped out with graphics because I noticed they needed a lot of help on their Instagram account. They really weren't posting much. So I was like, okay, I know Photoshop. Maybe I can help out a little bit that way. So I really, social media was my first way into Citrus TV, really doing the on-air, the tap, the graphics. And then over the summer, while we had all the COVID, along with the bees, I was still doing all of that. But once we got back to campus, we had, for this past fall, my sophomore year, we had tryouts. I got the position I wanted. I wanted to be an analyst on the show Q's Countdown, which basically dives into the football game or the basketball game for the week. I never had a chance to do basketball because we got sent home again for COVID. But for football games, for example, if we played Clemson on Saturday, we we would film the show Thursday night. It would go up Friday, and basically we just look at what does Syracuse need to do to beat Clemson? Obviously, we were, we were down six. We were down six in the third quarter. So that was progress. Then Trevor Lawrence started trying, of course. But that was really fun. I was also involved being an analyst on Orange Press Pass, which is a post-game show for all the football games. So we'd be at the station, get there an hour before kickoff, around 11 a.m. for a noon game, watch the game, obviously, take notes. Then we would have about an hour and a half because the games would end at 3.30. The show would start five hours after kickoff. So 5 p.m. we would start the show. You've got to go through it quick. People are cutting clips. We're doing our notes. And then 5 o'clock sharp, we are on air. It was, it was a fun experience, and obviously I want to go back 
this upcoming winter just because I want to continue to do that. It's my favorite part of being on campus is Citrus TV. It got me a lot of experience. Obviously, my first time doing on-air shows, being a studio analyst. It was a lot of fun and I have much to work on, but at the same time, I have progressed since I walked on campus August of 2019 as a freshman. I've grown a ton. So I've, I've been very happy with Citrus TV. And most importantly, real quick, the seniors, this year's seniors have been huge mentors. They've helped me throughout the process. They have been there to call text whenever I need it, whenever I have questions, whether it's prepping for a show or just asking questions about a class that they took when they were sophomores. It's I'm really grateful to be at Syracuse University and hopefully it helps out in the long run. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it will. And, you know, a little backhanded compliment here as a fan of a rival ACC school, but Syracuse football going one and nine or one and 10, whatever it was like, I'm sure that level of success, whatever you want to call it, helps you in your professionalism and delivery for trying to recap it in a well-prepared manner. And also, you know, try to provide a fair balance of complimenting whatever went well and keeping it real. Absolutely. Wow. Because no, <laughs> what no, a slip no. in there. The beast, you go, Oh, Syracuse. One and nine. What a guy. What See, a little slip in there. See, I'm sure I'm sure if Syracuse had a winning record, we decide to play in a bowl game this season. So oh, it makes up no. for it in the end. But it is a challenge when you go one in 10 because you don't want to repeat the same thing every single week when you're on air. You want to try to change things up, look at some type of positive. We had a running back, Sean Tucker. He was a freshman. He wasn't even on the week one depth chart. He was the fifth or sixth running back. He inched his way up and he showed promise throughout the season. So although we kept going back to him, it was like, okay, this team is heading in the right direction. Who knows where that direction might be, but it's in the right direction. Yeah. Hey, player safety, Nick, player safety. I don't know how you can back our coach. <laughs> yeah. for and Matt, Matt, yeah. I give you a hard time about the BC thing. I even on Nesson, when you did your first hit, you talked about BC players in the FCBL. And I said on the live broadcast that, you know, you're such a BC Eagle. They probably built a statue of you on campus. Didn't some of your BC buddies start texting you when I said yes. that? That is primed yeah. and ready at the beginning of my reel. So credit to you yes. for that. Well, and, and, but you know, it's all jokes aside though, like, I think knowing how to talk to losing athletes is an important skill because sometimes, you know, you may be covering a pro team and um, you have to get a quote out of them. You can't just skip the interview altogether. You need some type of content and they're in a horrible mood. I mean, we just saw the other day, JJ Watt, his press conference about how frustrated he is with his Texans team. You know, you have to deal with some angry dudes sometimes. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's an important skill because losing is a part of sports. And if you're covering the losing team, um, you have to, again, ask the questions without being completely condescending. Right. No, that's a great point. couple questions before we launch into our quick hit segment. So you guys are guests on our podcast, but you guys both have podcasts of your own. We got the Leverett Ball Show and we got the Lake Show podcast. Can you guys quickly talk to us about how you guys got into podcasting and how it is and how you're prepping to kind of advance and keep perfecting what you got going on there? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You, you want to go, go first? Nick? No, you go. I know you're a big deal, but okay. I'll go first this time. So I had done podcasting in the past, um, but I had never done it solo. So I used to do a podcast uh, with my friend Garrison Feldman, who um, we worked together with WEI sports radio. And he's now 
a producer for iHeartRadio, and we did a podcast together. We called it the Levin Garrison Show. He had to stop doing that for personal reasons. Um, and then when the pandemic started, since a lot of my like play-by-play and sideline stuff got canceled because there weren't as many games, I said, okay, let's do my own podcast. I've done podcasts with other people in the past, either with the Levin Garrison Show or going on as a guest, but let's do my own podcast while I have some downtime. So now... You know, I have the, the, the Leverett Ball Show, like you said, it's available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. And yeah, I'm really excited to be doing that. And it's really important, I think, to make your own content, whether it's through podcasting, uh, if you have a YouTube channel or social media. A lot of broadcasters have .com websites. I personally choose not to. I do all of my promotional stuff through Instagram. Um, so subtle plug here. If anyone wants to follow Leverett ball official on Instagram, the content will bring a tear to your eye and brighten your day. Um, but yeah, don't forget to hit up Leverett ball official on Instagram and also subscribe to the Leverett ball show on either Apple podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Let's go. First, Matt and Owen, I hope you're getting a check for all these promos that Leverett <laughs> is throwing out in your podcast. Just give us a cut. Just give us a cut off the top, Leverett. I'm sending them four peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the snail mail. <laughs> yeah, so real quick, just diving into the Lake Show pod. Myself, I've been a big Lakers fan my entire life. My roommate this year, he's from San Diego. He's a giant Lakers fan as well. And being broadcasting majors, both of us, we thought – we would just talk about our favorite team. Obviously we got it going around the time where the Lakers were making their playoff run in the bubble and then won the championship. So it was an exciting time to get the podcast started, but pretty much as broadcasting majors, I had never really thought about doing a podcast and I thought a lot would have to go into it, but really it's just talking. It's just having a conversation with your partner. And that's what I like best about it. And it just gets you comfortable talking on air even if it's not in front of a camera, in front of hundreds of viewers, we don't get that many views on our podcast. I'll be honest, not many people listen. We don't have a giant fan base on Twitter or with our podcast. We just have fun doing it. We love talking Lakers. We're both giant Laker fans. We'll watch the games together now that the season has started. We'll be texting each other when we're not with each other. We love talking about it. We'll do post-game podcasts. We'll just meet up sometime and not even have a plan for the podcast. We'll just click record, whatever comes to our brain. We just speak. We just talk to each other about Lakers for 25, 30 minutes. And I had a podcast last year. It didn't, we didn't have much structure with it. We were just kind of blabbering a little bit. And I did, I, I just said that podcasts are for talking, but that one, it, it, it was all over the place. We were trying to talk about NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, college sports, all within half an hour. And that's merely impossible. So I think this one, we really took our time setting up the podcast and we're, we're trying to get guests as we grow the thing. I've on Twitter, I like to live tweet almost a little bit just to practice live tweeting. I really, I'm really watching the Lakers games and studying the ball movements, all the in-depth analysis of a basketball game. I love watching the Lakers. I used to just sit back, relax, drinking my Arnold Palmer, eating my goldfish, just watching, watching Lakers basketball. But now I really, I'm sitting up in my chair. I'm watching how they play the ball movement, which is exceptional last night. I just won by 36 points. The Lakers did. So a little, a little flex right there, but 
yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And he's a, he's a great kid who I do it with. Cammy's there. He's a great kid. He's a great roommate as well. So it's an absolute blast. Yeah. You guys sound like you've got some great content out and we're excited. We're excited to continue to listen to it as you guys keep coming out with episodes. Uh, One last question here before we go to our quick hit segment message to beast fans, as we are finally entering 2021. Expect a better season. I mean, last year, obviously the fans wanted wins. You, You want wins when you're rooting for a specific team, but it was their first season with the FCBL a lot was going on. This is the toughest year for sports and who knows way past our time. And a lot went into just playing baseball this season. There were a lot of questions, expect an improved roster, expect more wins. I've, I've seen some of the new players that are coming to the team. Just be ready for more wins. Be fan, these fans. I'd say the same thing. Um, you know, expect a lot more winning this season. I think, you know, last season, it was an accomplishment just to have a season, let alone do well. Um, you think about how many different sporting events in a variety of different sports have been canceled in 2020. Um, and the fact that the bees were, were able to, like I said, have a season and have um, some fans in attendance, you know, with the 25% capacity allowed in the stadium, that alone was an accomplishment. Now that, you know, we're getting slowly getting through this pandemic you know, we can expect better things. And I think like Nick said, they're adding a lot of talent to the roster and yeah, I think they're going to be uh, really solid this coming season and they're going to come out of the gate hot. Yeah. And it's a big help to have returning players and have a roster already in shape, like you mentioned. So we're looking forward to new Britain's second season in the futures league. The first one was a ton of fun to follow. Guys, we got one final segment. It's called quick hits. It's presented by Zephyr, the official on-field hat of the futures league. Zephyr, high quality and innovative design since 1993. I know you guys were big on hat promos and social media. I don't know if any of you guys have a bees lid near you, but those things were looking pretty sharp. Nick scouring his room real quick. I, I That's honest, all right. I, I don't know where I put it. I have this Broncos helmet, but it's a little. So he's, he's lying because he doesn't want to mess with his hair. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He, he spends like 45 minutes a day adding product to it. He doesn't want to mess it up. Totally fine. If you got a good thing, might as well keep doing it to keep it working. So anyway, guys, it's been a ton of fun so far. We have a couple more questions for our audience to get to know you guys a little better. Is that cool with you? Absolutely. Yes. Sweet. Let's do it. Favorite player on the bees that you've covered or best interview that you got a chance to do post game. Noah Martinez. Andrew Kane, because they showered him with water afterwards. They sure did. Hey, when you hit a walk off that good, you deserve to get a shower in that fashion. Now, how about a favorite venue you've attended a game at or covered a game at? Leverett? Uh, Gillette Stadium. It was, it was for the for the Patriots. It was kind of stressful getting in because there's so many different rounds of security you have to do to get into an NFL venue. But it was my most liked Instagram post ever. So stressful getting in, but, you know, got to boost my – Incredibly fragile self-esteem with some Instagram likes. Bless stadium covering the Patriots. With my small resume, New Britain Stadium. Let's go. Can't beat it. How about a bucket list sporting event or venue that you guys want to attend soon? And that could be either as a fan or as a broadcaster? Sure. However you want to take that. I would say as a fan, the NBA Finals. And as a broadcaster or a reporter – 
the carrier dome, which I hope to do within the next year or two. Sweet. I'd say maybe some more stuff at the TD garden. I did some brewing stuff there in the past, but uh, that was one of the coolest venues I've been to. They actually have a, a hot fudge Sunday machine in their media room. So uh, I'd like to eat some more hot fudge Sundays down the road. Yes. They're between doing a couple bean pot games and then also an event or two else there, their food display is probably one of the best in the area. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Love it. Uh, it's always good to structure your bucket list broadcast by how their food service is. So 100%. Yes. How about walk up music? If you guys were walking up to the dish Leverett, maybe it's something you had at Curry college. If you guys had that or something you'd put on today, what music would you have on walking up to the mm-hmm. dish? Maybe Nick should go first. So I, I need to think about it. You know, it's a couple different artists I would um, maybe put, but I think I haven't played baseball since seventh grade, but this past summer I was most involved with baseball since that seventh grade season. Lever and I talked a lot about Drake. So I, I any Drake song, I'm a big Drake guy. Yeah, I would say either um, public service announcement by Jay-Z when he says, allow me to reintroduce myself. But um, or what was the other one? Um, this is a little bit of an older song, but I love it by Young Jeezy. Yeah, I, I could take I could take that Young Jeezy route, too, as a Broncos fan seeing Drew Locke shake his head to put on by Young Jeezy. I could definitely walk up to the plate. Watching Drew Locke perform, I'd probably strike out in that case. But, I mean, yeah. Put on's another good one. It is, yes. Yeah. Love it. All right, so Big Drake and Big Jeezy fans, well noted. How about favorite big league team and player, whether it's current or historical? I'm a New York Mets fan. <laughs> Pray for me, please. Um, and I'd say my favorite player all time, I grew up with David Wright, so it's got to be the captain. I would say probably uh, Bryce Harper because um, it's funny. Like Bryce Harper got famous before he even made the big leagues because he was the first ever sophomore to win national high school player of the year. And he was on the cover of sports illustrated at 16. He was the, you know, the first overall pick at age 17. He actually got his GED so that he could leave high school early and be draft eligible before he was 18 years old. So like my dad knew about him when he was like in high school. And then my dad actually, this is kind of strange. My dad would live near his single A affiliate that he played for when the nationals drafted him. So my dad would go to minor league games to watch Bryce Harper play. And then when Bryce Harper got called up to the big leagues, um, he played at Fenway park against the Red Sox for the Washington nationals. And I was actually there as an intern job shadowing. And I got to meet him and take a picture with him. And my caption on uh, Twitter when I tweeted out the picture was my father's son and the guy he wishes were his son. <laughs> so I'd say Bryce Harper. I love it. Good answer. How about a favorite big league team real quick? I'd go with the Red Sox, you know, just living here in the New England area. And I've actually been a Red Sox fan. I didn't come to Boston until college. I grew up in Maryland, but um, my dad went to college in the Boston area as well and became a big Red Sox fan. So when I was growing up in Baltimore, Maryland, he actually encouraged me to be a Red Sox fan. So I was actually a Red Sox fan before I came here. I didn't just come here and jump on the bandwagon. Um, Plus, when I was growing up, the Baltimore Orioles were horrible. So it's not like I was dying to cheer for them. 
All right, keeping going with these quick hits questions. Uh, what about a baseball nickname or a nickname in general you've been given over the last couple of years? Okay, so my final baseball season, I was playing with a summer team. I think it was sixth grade going into seventh grade. They nicknamed me Zebra. And my only thought is that Z Zelaya, Z Zebra. But other than that, I mean, we didn't have pinstripes on our jerseys or anything. I really don't know why I was nicknamed Zebra. Did I run like a zebra on the field? Because last I checked, I was one of the slowest guys on the team. I was playing catcher because I couldn't run in the outfield. I couldn't catch the ball. I was scared to be first base. I couldn't get a grounder to save my life. I, I don't know why I was named Zebra, but I guess I'm Nick Zelaya Zebra. So, double Z. <laughs> wow. I mean, interesting nickname. Also, based on what you said, I don't want to be mean, but it sounds like you were a very bad baseball player. I mean, those that's what you said, though. You Lever, gave Lever, the mean scouting. I, there's a reason I retired when I was 13 years old. So you're telling me there's I, a reason. I looked, at, I looked at myself as an athlete and said, okay, <laughs> what can I do? What can I do? I can catch a football. I can shoot a basketball. Mm. I'm scared of a baseball. We're going to stay away from the spring sports. I was the opposite because I, I did play college baseball, but I was really bad at basketball. I didn't even play high school basketball, but in middle school basketball, this is actually a true stat. I had 13 points in 45 games in three years of middle school basketball. That is a hundred percent true. What's that? What's that average <laughs> um, record? Of some sort. That's yeah, like an economics major. You got to compute 0.5 points per game when scoring once counts as two. So my main role was coming off the bench to foul people. Like if someone was scoring too much, they put me in to foul them because they didn't care if I fouled out. So I would just like, if a kid scored like a couple of baskets in a row, I'd come off the bench, body slam him, get like a flagrant foul, nearly get in a fight, get sent back to the bench for 20 minutes and then come in again and foul. I, w- I was kind of like in hockey, they have goons. I was like the first ever basketball goon where I had, I had no skill. I just come in to rough people up. How about a baseball nickname? <laughs> when I played at Curry college, I have really been all over the place. Today. I drank a lot of coffee before this. When I played baseball at Curry college, my nickname that my teammates gave me was Lev Daddy. And I had kind of a, a cult following because um, my freshman year on the baseball team, I was the third string catcher. So like almost never played and they made all the freshmen get haircuts. I was voted ugliest freshman haircut because I had a, a mullet um, and I had a unique name and they called me Lev Daddy. And like, I kind of developed like a cult following around campus where I was like, more well-known than the good players. So like they had put me into pinch hit. They one time put me into pinch in a 25 to nothing game. And I grounded out to the pitcher's mound and got a standing ovation and people were chanting, love daddy, love daddy. And like people were asking me to never get a haircut for the remainder of the semester after I got my mullet. So you could just get progressively uglier and uglier. Um, so yeah. So uh, my, my name, it, 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 there's kind of a story behind it. Like, if you ask someone who went to Curry College at the same time, do you know who Leverett Ball is? They'd say absolutely not. But if you said, hey, remember the, the backup catcher, Lev Daddy, who never played but ever knew who he was? Like, that guy, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you ever go to Curry College and you want to name drop me, say Lev Daddy, not Leverett Ball. Well, duly noted, and those are some nice nicknames. And I, I think if I'd actually played, I would have lost my, my cult following. Like, part of the – the joke was how bad I was. I was kind of like Brian Scalabrini, like a popular bench player. So, yeah. Fantastic. Are you guys superstitious at all? 
I'm not. What about you, Nick? No. That's fair. I think you, I think you make your own luck. If you shoot shots, they connect. You know, you make your own luck. If you're not afraid to fail, sometimes you might succeed. There you go. And then bubblegum or sunflower seeds? Sunflower seeds. Sunflower seeds. And uh, I eat the shells. I like the shells. <laughs> that is gross. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's maybe that was why my baseball career was cut short, but I'm big shell guy when it comes to sunflower seeds. That is disgusting that you eat the shells. Our first and, guest who admits to eating the shells. Yeah. Wow. I like to be honest. <laughs> Any brand or flavor in particular? Sizzling bacon. They actually used to make that when I was in high school. I don't know if they make that anymore. I, don't know. I, only, I only like the original. There are two. The sizzling bacon one's interesting. Have we heard that, Matt? I Not at all. That's a new one. Yeah, they've come out. They've come out with a lot of new flavors recently. They're yeah. going in so many different directions <laughs> with sunflower seeds. Yeah. And then, all right, moving on. How about a media piece or content that you're most proud of? Nick, go first. I'm going to think it through. I would say my most recent show, going back to Citrus TV. My most recent show talking about the Clemson game. That's why I brought it up earlier. I think the host was Jenna Fink. She's a senior. And then the co-analyst was Camazier, who I do the Lake Show pod with and my roommate. This was our third show this semester, and it was the best production-wise um, on air. We I don't remember stuttering once. I don't remember Cam stuttering once or Jenna. It was just probably the best show I had witnessed at Citrus TV, and I was just very lucky to be a part of it. When you're talking about Trevor Lawrence, it's pretty hard to, you know, stutter. That, that kid's good. Yeah, I had – so I had one moment. I'm very proud about this moment. <laughs> we were analyzing Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, who's the running back for Clemson. I wasn't looking at the screen. I was looking at Cam when I was saying this. I talk about. I was talking about how Trevor Lawrence has the ability to run to his left and throw on the run. I look back at the show – they show a highlight at the exact moment of me saying that. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't mean that to happen. I was not looking at the screen at all. I was looking directly into Cameron Ezer's eyes and it was a masterpiece. I would say uh, either I got to interview Patrice Bergeron, the, the Bruins team captain once. That was probably my most high profile interview I've ever done, but there was an uncomfortable moment when I told a joke and he didn't laugh. And I don't know if you've seen interviews with him. He's just the most stone faced person ever. Like, but um, like, you know, probably at his wedding, they said, do you take her to be your wife? And he said, oh, okay. Like he just is the most emotionless person ever. But um, either that or my uh, ESPN debut for Harvard university fencing, that broadcast actually got such few views that ESPN has permanently deleted it from its archives. Although I did in the parking lot after the fencing tournament, I downloaded the ESPN app so I could watch the rerun of myself and I took screenshots. So I do have a picture on my phone verifying that it happened. That's awesome. So my deleted ESPN broadcast or failing at making the Boston Bruins team captain laugh. Those were my two highlights. And then after that, it goes straight downhill. The rest of my life is a joke. That's I'm sorry about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hanging in there, you know. What's that song? I'm hanging around. 
I, I, maybe it's maybe it's beyond my time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just yeah. try, I try to have fun with it. <laughs> all right, last question for you guys, and then we'll let you go. How about a favorite all-time baseball memory? I would say meeting Curtis Granderson after a Mets game. He was, we were waiting outside. There's this little gated area at City Field where you can try to autograph players, even though the fence is 20 feet high. So I don't know how you're supposed to get your memorabilia over the fence for them to sign. <laughs> um, and I was short when I was younger. I was under five feet. So that, that, that's, that's a tough throw for me. But there was this little area, this little sidewalk where the cars would, there's the parking lot, there's the little sidewalk where we would stand. And sometimes the players would drive by and they would stop. So my dad and I were waiting there in this beautiful black SUV of car, <laughs> had to be a Cadillac, something like that, comes by, he's signing autographs and stuff. And I take a peek in the window and it's Curtis Granderson and his wife. So I'm like, okay, let's give this a shot. I go up to him. He signs my baseball. We take a picture. I have the picture somewhere and we're just chatting for a few minutes and he had to be one of the nicest athletes. I haven't met, I haven't met that many athletes, but out of the athletes I have gotten to meet, he had to be near the top of one of the nicest, especially his wife too. She even got out of the way for the selfie. So that was just me and Curtis in it so that she, she, she didn't want to take any of the uh, stardom away from him. It was, it was an awesome moment. And Levert, how about you? Favorite all-time baseball memory? So actually, this is one from my playing career. Um, it was when I was seven years old playing Little League Baseball. It's actually very embarrassing, but I was suspended from Little League Baseball by my coach. And the coach who suspended me was actually my father. And he continued to go to Little League Baseball without me and coach. And like the other team's coaches would be like, which kid is yours? And he'd be like, none of them. I kicked my kid off the team and I show up to youth baseball alone and coach for free. But, um, but yeah, but what happened was my dad, our team was winning by a lot of runs and my dad took out a lot of people and tried to give an opportunity to, to kids who didn't play as much. So he benched me and I was so angry that I threw a bunch of equipment and there were some bushes growing off near the side of the field and I ripped them out of the ground and then sat on the bench and started cheering for the other team. And he actually suspended me, my own father. And I know that story sounds unbelievable. He's actually visiting me right now. Let's, please, let's please come on camera. Did, did this happen? I uh, know it was much worse than that. <laughs> it was, wait, wait, wait. We can hear him. Uh, yeah, you're, you're sugarcoating it. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was much worse than that. You can confirm it. it yeah, it was much worse than that. Yeah, he he um, it, it was you wanted to be catcher, but you're sort of afraid of being catcher. Do people still know about Latrell Sprewell? He was like a basketball player who tried to strangle his coach. Yeah, we Lever tried that. That was the first thing. Oh he my goodness! Four, he was only four feet tall, so that wasn't so bad. Yeah, and, and then he and then he tried to rip destroy a bunch of nice uh, bushes <laughs> on the field, and then he started rooting for the other team and cheering every time we whatever struck out. Well, thank you guys for sharing that Leverett. I'm glad to see that your baseball career has ballooned into getting back on the diamond and being in the new Britain. Bees I, I went from suspended from little league baseball to new Britain bees announcer. As Drake would say, started from the bottom. Now we hear. I love it. You guys have said you've quoted Drake all season long. And now one final send off for this episode, Leverett. We're excited to see you back in new Britain stadium next summer, Nick. 
best of luck with everything at Q's. Perhaps we'll see you guys along side by side one more time, but maybe right now. Thank you guys for joining us. This has been episode four of season two of back to the futures, the official podcast of the futures collegiate baseball league. We have new episodes coming out every Monday. Make sure to subscribe. We're on Apple podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon. Thank you.